former friends, now bitter rivals. A previous president tries to unseat his protege who occupies the highest seat in the land. Everyone was talking about this election, and then in a flash, they weren't. Welcome to Top Fold, a podcast about all the news that would have been. I'm your host, Luke Hefley. Here at Top Fold, we explore monumental events that didn't make the top story only because that spot was already taken. Presidential elections have always been brutally contested. It's easy to look through the prism of recent history and think this must be the most divisive election ever. But history shows that may not be the case. Look back at even the very earliest presidential elections and you can see that in every instance, emotions are raw and each is a no-holds-barred battle. Many historians point to the contest between Theodore Teddy Roosevelt and William Howard Taft as an especially tough fight. Former President Roosevelt, who handpicked his successor, President Taft, didn't like many of the policies that Taft had enacted. So when the next election came around again just four years later, Roosevelt decided to challenge Taft for the Republican nomination. As a sitting president being challenged by an extremely popular former president in his own party, Taft was in a very bad position. Roosevelt was going to make it difficult, if not impossible, for Taft to secure a second term. This was the first year that there were actual Republican presidential primaries, although not many, just 13, along with state conventions. So Roosevelt, with a flair like no one had seen before, went directly to the American people with rousing speeches and theatrics that would make Broadway jealous. During this time, it was customary for the current president to let others do his campaigning, to stay above the fray, if you will. Taft actually disdained campaigning, and during his first campaign four years earlier, let Roosevelt do the vast amount of campaigning for him, leading him to victory. Taft believed, lead the country, and the country will reward you with a second term. He tried this approach. He ran on his record of tariff reform, implementation of antitrust legislation that included breaking up oil, tobacco, and sugar monopolies, strengthening the Interstate Commerce Commission, along with appointing Supreme Court justices. Six in just three years. But Roosevelt wasn't having it. He was relentless on the campaign trail. President Taft proved the victor in only one of the first five primaries, which was ironically in Roosevelt's home state of New York. Taft soon realized he had to change his tactics. With the contest for the nomination in full swing, just nine weeks before the Republican National Convention, Taft took the white gloves off and the battle was on. Day after day, front pages of major newspapers in cities where primaries or state conventions were being held contained expansive articles about President Taft and former President Roosevelt going at it. Roosevelt said President Taft was a fathead with the brains of a guinea pig. Taft responded by calling Roosevelt's followers radicals and neurotics. Everyone was talking about this presidential race. Headlines like, Republican riots splits Michigan. Police and Militia, Fistfight and Bedlam, Features of Bitter State Convention, and others like Taft to Fight On, Sure of Victory, were abound. Roosevelt loved it. Taft embraced it, and the battle for the Republican nomination was now in full swing. Until it wasn't. While they were on nearly every front page on Monday, these two presidential rivals were nowhere to be found in the papers on Tuesday. Well, that's not quite right. The news of the primary and the election was on page 12. The following day, they made page 10. As a matter of fact, the day after that 
what was once a white-hot story with ramifications of how the country would be guided for years and possibly decades was relegated to page 24 of the New York Times. Not only was it on page 24, but during the height of the primary season, it was on the last page of the daily newspaper of record. The article was right next to the Help Wanted ads, which were actually labeled Situation Wanted, and on the same page as ads for Broadway plays and carnival acts. No, it would take a full five days before the editors of most newspapers, including the New York Times, would consider the presidential election worthy of column space on the front pages again. Had nothing happened to them to make the front page? Had they taken a break from the brutal back and forth? Not at all. But for these five days, no one cared about the Republican primary. No one was talking about these two political rivals. Not just for five days, but in reality, it was for weeks and even longer. So what happened? What kept them off the pages of the newspapers all over the country? From front page headlines to an afterthought on the last page, if even mentioned at all. For days, weeks, and actually for over a century now, everyone was talking about the gigantic news, or should I say, Titanic news. The headline for the New York Times on April 16th was, Titanic sinks four hours after hitting iceberg. That's right. The headlines all over the world in 1912, for April 15th, 16th, 17th, and well beyond, talked about how over 1,500 souls were lost at sea. The RMS Titanic was four days into its maiden voyage from England to New York City. Full-page stories about the number of lifeboats, or lack thereof, which passengers from the first, second, or third class survived or perished, and why, all day, every day, this was the topic of almost every conversation. Within days, U.S. Senator William Alden Smith of Michigan who had previously investigated railroad safety issues, led a subcommittee investigation looking into the disaster. Knowing that surviving passengers and crews would be quickly returning to their homes, he acted swiftly, even holding the meetings in New York City instead of Washington, D.C. The committee personally boarded the RMS Carpathia, the ship that was first on scene and had saved 705 passengers from the Titanic's lifeboats. They questioned J. Bruce Ismay, Ismay, a survivor himself, was the chairman and managing director of the White Star Line, the company that owned and operated the Titanic along with other ocean liners. Meetings were held in the Waldorf Astoria Hotel for multiple days before moving back to the nation's capital. Names of the wealthiest and most prominent who perished were also in the headlines. Among them were former New York congressman and co-owner of Macy's, Isidore Strauss, and his wife, Ida, along with John Jacob Astor IV, one of the wealthiest men in the world and the richest man on the Titanic, and Major Archibald Butt, a military advisor and a very close friend to both Roosevelt and Taft. He had accompanied Taft when throwing out the ceremonial first pitch in 1910 and 1911, a tradition that Taft actually started. Grief-stricken without his friend, President Taft decided not to do the same in 1912 and instead had Vice President Sherman do the honors. During the official investigation, over 80 witnesses testified, including surviving passengers, crew members of the Titanic and other ships in the vicinity, expert witnesses, and those that received or transmitted the news of the disaster. Along with Ismay, who was the first to be questioned, there was Charles Lightoller, second officer on the Titanic, Frederick Fleet, who was the lookout and sounded the alarm, and Archibald Gracie, a first-class passenger. They also questioned the captains of the RMS Carpathia, the SS Californian, and the RMS Olympic. 
Day after day, news came out of the committee about the lack of emergency preparations and how the ship's safety and life-saving equipment had not been properly tested. How Captain Smith had shown an, quote, indifference to danger that was one of the direct and contributing causes of this unnecessary tragedy, unquote. And how the Californian was much closer to the Titanic than its captain would admit. Although highly critical of the White Star Line, they did not find them negligent under existing maritime laws, saying they followed standard practices so it was officially categorized as an act of God. In regards to Roosevelt and Taft, the final eight primaries were between April 19th and June 4th, the entire time the U.S. Committee was investigating the tragedy. With each revelation and recommendation, any headline that wasn't Titanic-related just didn't enter into that day's conversation. After losing his home state of Ohio and Roosevelt winning almost all the primaries, Taft came into the convention with no momentum. Neither had enough committed delegates, and it took convention rules that are debated to this day to bend away for Taft to win the nomination. Roosevelt said he was cheated, and I believe he was right. So he took his delegates and he split, creating the Progressive or the Bull Moose Party to run in the general election against Taft and the Democratic nominee, Woodrow Wilson. All through the summer... And well into October, the Titanic was still grabbing the headlines. Reports of new shipping rules, liability payments, distributions of funds to victims, and even stories of survivors getting engaged kept Roosevelt and Taft off the front pages. One day in mid-October, Teddy Roosevelt did get the headline all to himself. He was in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and opened his speech with this quote, Friends, I shall ask you to be as quiet as possible. I don't know whether you fully understand that I have just been shot. Moments earlier, on the evening of October 14th, while riding in an open-air automobile, an assailant just five feet away fired a 38 caliber Colt revolver into Roosevelt's chest. He then proceeded to unbutton his vest to show his blood-stained shirt to the astonished crowd. After removing his bullet-ridden 50-page speech, which is believed to have slowed the bullet, allowing him to live, he said, The bullet is in me now so that I cannot make a very long speech, but I will try my best. For the next 90 minutes, he criticized Taft and a government that had neglected the common man. Nervous aides begged him to stop and even positioned themselves around the podium to catch him if he collapsed. Like most speeches before, Roosevelt would drop each page to the floor in dramatic fashion, and journalists or audience members would collect them as souvenirs. The Smithsonian has one of these pages with the bullet hole on display. After he finished to a roaring ovation, he went to the hospital where it was determined that the bullet had lodged in his rib where it would remain for the rest of his life. Just three weeks later, it was decision time. The election didn't go well for President Taft. That's an understatement. Having to battle against both parties, he wouldn't succeed. Actually, he got clobbered, winning only eight electoral votes in the general election. By far the worst showing ever of a sitting president. Wilson won handily, and Roosevelt had made it his mission that if he couldn't win, Taft wouldn't either. On that front, the old Rough Rider successfully exceeded all expectations. At 11.40 p.m. on April 14, 1912, when a North Atlantic iceberg split open the hole on its starboard side, it wasn't just the Titanic's fate that was sealed. In the weeks and months to follow, with sensational headlines, Senate committees, and sea vessels being reevaluated, no matter how crazy the election became, Roosevelt and Taft couldn't compete with the allure of a doomed ocean liner that is still capturing headlines for over a hundred years. There you have it, all the news that would have been. Thank you for joining us this week on Top Fold. 
Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram at Top Fold Podcast and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen to your favorite podcast. All my sources and research can be found at topfold.buzzsprout.com. There, along with other things that bring history to life. I'd like to thank David Wagler for the music. And if you like the show, please rate us and give us a review or simply tell a friend. That would be great. So until next time, there you have it. All the news that would have been.